0: So on page 14, the clarity, and it says, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Small group leaders, be mad at me. I've decided just to stick with the clarity of Scripture tonight. So when you get to small groups, those sufficiency questions, uh, just hold those for a later time. We're just going to deal with clarity tonight. It's Wednesday night of camp, and uh, my window to talk up here will be short. So I can already see people nodding before I even get started. Sleep on Wednesday night at camp is never a problem. Everybody's ready for bed on Wednesday night, so that's good. Here's the definition of clarity of Scripture. It's right underneath the heading. The Word of God can clearly be understood in all things, I'm going to clarify that, in all things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed, for salvation, faith, daily living, and the things to come. So we're tying together what Chan's talking about. Everything's headed to this day when we stand before God. So God has clearly given us everything that we need to understand to know, believe, and observe or to obey for salvation, faith, daily living, and the things to come. Now let me give you five clarifications. These are not original to me. This is in DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word. Five points of clarification as we talk about clarity. Number one, some portions of Scripture are clearer than others. Not every passage has a simple or obvious meaning. So when we're talking about clarity of Scripture, we're acknowledging that some places are clearer than others. Number two, the main things we need to know, believe, and do can be clearly seen in the Bible. So not everything's obvious or simple, but the things that we need to know, believe, and do can be clearly seen in the Bible. Number three, though the most essential doctrines are not equally clear in every passion passage, they are all made clear somewhere in Scripture. So essential doctrines, the things we know about God, His Word, salvation, the things to come. So you might come to a verse and say, well, that's not exactly clear as to what God's saying here. But when you take the whole counsel of God together, it becomes obvious and perfectly clear. Number four, that which is necessary for salvation can be understood even by the uneducated, provided that they make use of the ordinary means of study and learning. So what we're saying though is that even though the Bible is a book and not every passage is clear and some of it is hard or complicated, Even an uneducated person, using the basic means of of study and learning, can know from God what it means to be saved. Number five, the most important parts of the Scripture may not be understood perfectly, but they can be understood sufficiently. Sufficiently means you can know enough of it. We're not going to arrive at perfection in everything we know, but we can sufficiently arrive. And that ties us into the next subject we'll take up tomorrow. We read this passage last night. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The reason all of those things are true is because God's word is clear. Now, if you've been around Parkwood very long, you've heard me say this. The problem that most people have with the Bible is not that the Bible's hard to understand. The problem that most people have with the Bible is that the Bible's quite easily understood. And the Bible confronts us. And it speaks to who we are. And it confronts what we do. And because of that, we get uncomfortable. So the first thing. I want us to look at it. I, I, even though the text is there in your book, I want you to look at this in your Bible. I would mark this in the scripture. This is going to be a place if you want to go back when you're sitting in a dorm room and your friend is arguing with you that God's been unclear. <laughs> yeah, well, let me, let's, let's look at this passage right here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Has God really been unclear? The answer is no. The Lord God has clearly made his word known to us to be obeyed. filling in the blanks there. Clearly made his word known to us to be obeyed. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I commanded you today is not too hard for you. It's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. So what he's saying is, God's saying, it's not too hard for you to understand and it's not too far off. He presses this illustration. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven and bring for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. So we can't live under this excuse. God's up there in heaven, and he's keeping everything a secret, and we're like my Muslim friend. I hope so. Verse 13. Neither is it beyond the sea that we should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Look up here. We don't have to do a Mecca. I mean, a, a, a pilgrimage as Christians. We don't have to get on a boat or a plane or a ship and go somewhere to get the truth. It's not across the sea. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth. So it's a spoken word. It's an understandable word. It's in language. It is in your heart. It is a spiritual word so that you can want. Do it. So it it has obligations to it that is to be obeyed. Verse 15, see, I've said before you today, life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord, your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord, your God will bless you and the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, To give them. You say, well, this doesn't apply to us, man. This was the children of Israel when they're about to cross over in the promised land. This doesn't apply to us. By the way, Pastor, if you read this really close, this means God wants you to earn your salvation. No, it doesn't. Somebody might argue that. God has just saved Israel. From where? Where? Somebody said it. Egypt, he's just saved them. He has just set them free. He's he's now leading them into the promised land, and he's saying, here are how my saved people live. You obey me. So choose life or choose death. It's really choose to worship me and obey me or choose the other gods. But you choose the other gods, you choose death. Now listen to me, there's not a lot of formal religion going on in your world right now, but there's a choice for other gods in front of you every day. And, and one of the reasons you get real uncomfortable, and even right now while I'm speaking, you get real uncomfortable, is you realize that what the Bible's doing here is it's clearly confronting you. It's placing in front of you a stark choice. I either choose life or choose Death. I either choose to follow him or not. Second thing. The Lord God, God has clearly made his word known to us to light the way. One of the main questions that I've had with people your age over the years who are Christians is they want to know what? What do they want to know? God's what for their life? God's plan, God's will. By the way, Russell Moore had a great, uh, I tweeted it earlier this afternoon, a great article in Jeremiah 29-11 and how people use that way out of context, All right, and, and, and what God actually means with that verse. But anyway, people ask his question, I, I just, I just want to know what God's plan is for my life. He, 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 hear, hear me on this. If you will hear this, it will change everything from this moment forward. If you will just concern yourself with what God has clearly made known, his plan will take care of itself. It will. You don't need some crystal ball moment to where God says, you know, I want you to go to the University of Tennessee. I'm just being random. And and I want you to study molecular biology. And I want you to move to Seattle and to work in a lab for the rest of your life. God's not going to do that. And if you're claiming he did that, then you had some kind of funky dream and ate shrimp boil before you went to bed or something. I mean, that is not how God works. The way God works to reveal his will is through his word. Your word, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now that is crucial to get the word picture. So it's dark outside You ever been in the real dark, like for real dark, can't see, no street lights? Anybody ever been in the real dark? You have a flashlight? So what are you concerned to do with that flashlight? If it's super dark, what are you concerned to do with it? What are you concerned with it? Right here. (laughs) Particularly like if you're in the woods and there could be a snake close by. You are concerned where your feet are. And what's coming up right out here in front of you? You're, you're, you're not now something, you know, you hear something, then you're going to stop and look around, right? The Bible is saying here that God's word is a lamp to our feet. Where am I going to take my next step? Where's the next step? Where's the next step? And it's a light to my path. God's word has given us enough that we can see right out here in the future. In other words, you can say it this way God's not ever going to leave his children in the dark. Now, if you choose to go out in the dark without a flashlight, who chose to be in the dark? You did. This illustration is very simple. But if you, as a young person, as a Christian young person, choose to proceed into your life without the flashlight, then you're choosing to proceed in the dark. In other words, if you choose to ignore the word of God, you are ignoring the very lamp to your feet and the light to your path and what God has provided. Look at one more verse in Psalm 119, verse 130. Psalm one nineteen, one hundred and thirty. 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. I love the rest of this. This is good news for me. It imparts understanding to the simple. And here's what this means. Here's what this means. Some of you are reading your Bible like it's uh, like it's a, a Google search item, and you want to know something particular, so you Google search it. In fact, don't read your Bible like that. Like don't Google search words, so you're just looking up certain things in the Bible. Here's what you need to do. You need to come up with a, with a plan of how to read your Bible so that what happens to you over a period of time is God's word begins to unfold to you, that you begin to see, okay, this is what God's doing. This is what God's saying, because here's what God says here. The unfolding of his word gives what? Light. that You start to see. It imparts understanding to the simple that means to the people who don't really get it. Next page, page 16. So let's let's kind of take a, a commercial for a minute and let's ask a question that I'm going to get asked. Why are some things hard to understand then, Jeff? If the Bible's so clear like you're talking about, why is some of it hard to understand? Well, the Bible actually admits this. Second Peter chapter three, verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in, all, in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So here's what he's saying. He's saying people want to argue about the Bible, they take these hard places, twist them and turn them, and further confuse people. This is what I've been trying to warn you of. You're going to run into these people. They're going to go right to the hard places, turn them around, and further confuse your mind. They won't just do it with the hard places. They'll do it with all the Scripture. But here's what he says. You, therefore, beloved... When the Bible uses the word beloved, who's it talking to? Believers. You, therefore, believers... Knowing this beforehand. So what do you know beforehand? What? There's some hard places and what else do you know? There are going to be people who do what? Twist it. So you know these two things. There are hard places in the Bible and there are going to be people who are going to twist it. So knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability. In other words, don't let this wreck your faith. Don't let these places ruin you, hurt you. But, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do you do that? How do you grow in the ne- grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? You read the Bible. So you, the Bible's anticipating this argument. Where, well, it's just too hard. So I'm just not going to read it. Now you set yourself up for the person who's really witty and can take parts of the Bible, twist it and turn it and confuse you, and then you just totally give up. The scripture's saying here, but grow in the grace. So God's going to give you what you don't need, what you don't earn or deserve. He can give you what you need, excuse me. And you're going to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. To him be the glory both now to this day and eternity. Amen. So why then are there hard places? Number one. Difficulty reveals our need for further study. Difficulty reveals our need for further study. So it drives us in these harder places to press on and to press forward. <laughs> you know, people will walk up to me on Sundays after a sermon, and particularly some of these Genesis sermons, and say, "Oh, you just make that so simple. Is it so simple. Thank you for me." They have no idea that you know i was up for hours and hours just at moments thinking i i have no idea what this means so i don't just sit down every week and go oh, well there there's a sermon i got it 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 takes hard work to really work through those difficult passages so that, so that they, they become clear. And I don't just study enough to say it. I know that I'm going to get hard questions too. But let me give you a warning here. Those of us who give ourselves to further study run a risk. Because here's what the Bible warns. Knowledge, what? Puffs up. Some of the most arrogant people you ever meet are at seminary. I mean, they know it, man. They're ready to unleash their knowledge of God on the world. you got to watch it. Knowledge can puff you up. It can make your head big and your heart small. But we're not just out for knowledge. Because the difficulty not just reveals our need for further study, it reveals our need for the grace of God. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. False teaching has often come in the history of the church through men who were extremely knowledge of the Bible, knowledgeable of the Bible, who started believing their own stuff and got so arrogant that when they got off on a false tangent, people had stopped checking on them and they led people astray. God gives grace to the humble. And we must humbly approach His words saying, if God doesn't show us, we're never going to know. The last thing I want you to see is this, that difficulty reminds us that we are not God. God says this, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So here's what the Bible's saying. God's told us what he wants us to know. And there are things that he has not yet revealed to us. They are secret things. And if we continue to press in on those secret things, we are either going to become arrogant or we're going to become frustrated. What we've got to acknowledge is that we are not God. All right, if I want to draw a crowd at Parkwood, what what could I choose to teach on? Tell me. Get the biggest crowds, man, it'll, it'll pack out, give it three weeks, we have the biggest crowds we ever had. End times, that's all I got to do. To pick up the end times, put some banners up on garrison, and they will come, man. Every one of them, curious, argue with people and go on. Now, I'm not avoiding the end times. I refer to it quite often. Uh, if I preach, or I don't say if, when I preach through Revelation, it's just going to make a lot of people mad after about four weeks because they're going to figure out how actually do it. Uh, I know that because when I talked the Olivet Discourse, I had more ugly emails from people than I've ever had in my life because here's what the deal is. People think they've got the secret things about Revelation figured out. The secret things belong to who? The Lord. So any whack that starts telling you they figured out when Jesus is coming back, they don't know. You know how we don't know? The Bible, Jesus says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Those things belong to God. But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. Jesus is coming back, right? So we bank on that one, and we quit trying to figure out all these little details. God's given me plenty to do until he comes, because it says here, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he's revealed that we may do all the words of his law. God's given us plenty to deal with without having to know what the secret things are. Next, the Lord God clearly made his word known so that we can teach others clearly. So God's clearly made his word known to us so that we can teach others clearly. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Let me just say this. Clearly. If you don't go to Parkwood, that's fine. You're young people, so you may not have choice where you go to church. When you go to college, first of all, find a church, not just a Christian organization with other people your age. You need older people in the Lord Jesus around you. Okay? I didn't say old people. I said older people. It's the way God designed the church to work. Don't just hang out with college kids. You'll get in error. Trust me. It's all you do is hang out with college kids. You're going to get messed up in some error. You need the church. You need to be a part of the church. But go to a church. I didn't talk to Chad about this. So, Chad, do they choose a church with really great worship or clear Bible teaching if they have to make a choice? Which one do they choose, Chad? Now, I didn't make him say that. I have had countless young people say to me over the years, well, man, the worship's really awesome. I don't know what the the preacher's talking about. In fact, I don't agree with most he says, but I love the worship. Listen to me. You are doing more damage to yourself than you know. You go somewhere where you find where the Bible is clearly taught. That that what is being said is from the Bible and it is clearly being communicated. This word is clear and it should be clearly communicated. You should be able to walk out of a church, a youth meeting, a college meeting, whatever, and say, I know what that dude or that woman just talked about. I know what that was about and it's squared up with the Bible. Now, on a personal level, some of you are going to end up teaching people in groups or large groups. All of you, if you're followers of Jesus, are teachers. The reason I say that is because the Great Commission has been giving to all believers to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's what I realized with my lost friends in college, I realized, you know, some people say, well, they're the, you're the only Bible they're ever, they're ever going to read. Okay. That's a cop out. All right. The only way they're ever going to know the Bible is if I tell them. Just being an example to them. So the only way they're ever going to know what the Bible says is if I tell them. And you can season conversations in such a way. And listen, you go to college, have a time every day where you sit down in your dorm room. Don't go stand out in the quad or wherever it is your school, you know, read your Bible like this. But your roommates and your suite mates should regularly see you reading the Bible. And I'm going to promise you what will happen. Every adult in here who did this knows the truth of this. Eventually, your roommate will say, what are you doing? What are you reading about? Or why do you do that all the time? You you won't have to say a word; they'll open the door for you to be in a, be in a community. Because listen, quite frankly, most people have never been around anybody that believes the Bible, and certainly never been around anybody that that reads the Bible. We are all called to teach the Bible and to share. We're all going to give advice at some point. So I'm a youth pastor. Well, I was actually a youth director, whatever that is. It's like a cruise director, but it's with youth, I guess. I was a youth director in college, and and I was I was giving advice, counseling a young woman, and she stood up and screamed at me and said, I just want some advice. Quit telling me what the Bible says. Okay, what are you going to do right there? I just want some advice. Quit telling me what the Bible says. What do you do? What do you say? How do you respond to that? What? Give him advice to the, the Bible. You agree with what he said? Why do you agree with what he said? What? The Bible's the best advice. I'd even go, st- that's right, I'd go a step further than that. That's where we get our advice. I would say it's the only advice, particularly what this young woman was wanting to talk about. Now, why did she ultimately not want me to talk about the Bible without me even giving you the details of what we were discussing? You can imagine without me giving you the details of what we're discussing. Why did she not want me to talk about the Bible? It contradicted her point of view and what she wanted to do. And what she wanted me to do was agree with her. She wanted me to agree with what she was saying. Now, you're going to give an account to God for everything you say. So if your pagan lost friend is coming to you for advice and they're talking about something they're doing that you know is contrary to the Bible and you go, I, I just affirm you and I, 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 just, I just want to affirm who you are. You're not affirming a person then. You're affirming a behavior. You're affirming an opinion. You're affirming a way of thinking, which is contrary to the Scripture. You as a believer are obligated, if you know what the word of God says, to speak the truth. But you're obligated to speak the truth. How? In love. An arrogant Christian does a lot of damage. And you hollering and screaming at people and coming off in a hateful way is not going to help. But we must speak the truth. Now, you're going to speak the truth to people and some of them are going to get it and some of them are not going to get it. Because there's a difference between spiritual understanding and intellectual understanding. Some of the smartest people I know have the hardest time understanding the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught in the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. They are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, question. Does that mean, then, if things are only spiritually discerned, does that mean I don't speak the word of God to people who are not Christians? Huh? All right, why does it not mean that? Because what do I not know? What do I not know when I am speaking the truth of God? What do I not know? All right, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing. I don't know what's going on inside of that person. Now, let me ratchet ahead. I've been talking with my sweet mate now for three weeks about the same subject, and he gets madder and madder and madder the more I bring it up. So what should I do? Stop. Stop bringing it up. Because what I'm running into is not a spiritual understanding. It's clear that God's not opening his mind and his heart up to understand this. And I am hardening him. I am not helping him. And you gotta, the, God's got to give you the wisdom when you back off of a subject when you're talking to somebody. And that's hard to do, friends. And I don't mean I never talked to this guy about spiritual things again. I mean I didn't bring up that subject again. I waited for him to bring it up. And he did. About six months later, he brought it up and we entered into the conversation again. You got to watch. So am I intellectually trying to get somebody in a headlock and win them? Is that what I'm trying to do? No. I got to trust this is God's word and God's going to take his word and he's going to apply it to the heart of an individual and do the work that only he can do. Now, Not that any of this is not application, but let's just draw three points of application by looking over in Psalm 119, and we'll be done here in just a second. The clarity of Scripture, and I chose these words on purpose, the clarity of Scripture should compel me to prayerfully read and study the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your statutes, on your ways. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. I love verse 27. What are you asking God to do there? The first two words? What? Make me. This is this is what this is beyond a help me prayer. Make me understand. So I'm admitting here, I'm so thick I can't. So make me understand. Now, I'm up here talking, preaching. About the clarity of the Bible, and here's what I know. Some of you are sitting out there saying, I've tried reading the Bible. The Bible is unclear. I just don't get anything out of it. The Bible will remain unclear to you as long as you cease to read it and to study it. Anybody anybody read a Shakespeare play in here? The first time you read a Shakespeare play, was it clear? The second time you read a Shakespeare play, was it clear? Has anybody in the room ever got to the point to where it is clear? That you got in the flow of the language and you started to understand what was happening? All right, a couple of you nodding your head. Most of you are still going, oh, no, man, I just never did get it. Shakespeare uh, Shakespeare is, is, is some of the most intelligent, engaging writing that's ever been done. Shakespeare is hilarious. I mean, once you, once you begin to grasp what you're doing, there's just all kinds of humor going on. Even in the tragedies, there's humor going on and things. But you got to get there. Listen, the Bible's not as complicated as Shakespeare. But it takes time to understand what's happening. How is this thing working? How's it going, going along? Now, this book put together by Gordon Fee is called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. So this is not a reading plan, read Genesis 1 today, read Exodus 1 tomorrow. It's not what it is. This is an explanation of how, when you come to different parts of the Bible, how you read it so that then you can grasp it. So look at it like this. This would be like an explanation of, using a worldly illustration here, of coming to Shakespeare's plays, which are multiple different kinds of plays, and saying, okay, here's how you read a tragedy, here's how you read a comedy, Here's how you read one of his history plays because you had to do them different. So this is a good, simple explanation of how to read the Bible. Now, I'm going to give one away. If somebody can tell me a word. This is anybody in the room. This, you raise your hand. Don't say it out loud if you know it. What is the, the correct theological term of the clarity of Scripture? Who's over there? You got it. Man. Let's give it up for Buddy Clark. The word is purpose Oh, feedback. Purposcuity. All right, there's a $10 word. Write that one down. Lay that one on somebody someday. Purposcuity. Now, the reason I told you, for those of you who end up with this book, he says the word purposcuity in there. Now you're going to go, oh, okay, I know what that is. He explains it, though. Purposcuity means clarity. All right, second principle. The clarity of Scripture should result in wholehearted trust and active obedience. Verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So the reason we want to understand the Bible is so that we can keep it, observe it, and to not just keep it and observe it, but to do it with our whole heart. Now, if I treat the Bible as optional, am I A, is is this true, A, do I not believe it, so, if I'm treating the Bible as optional, do A, do I not believe it? Or B, am I disobedient? Anybody won't see? Right, it's both. When I treat the Bible as optional, two things are happening it's not just one. I don't believe it. And secondly, I am being disobedient. Disobedience is a lack of faith. Even though you know, you know it's true, you know what God is saying, but you're saying like Eve, there's something more. If I'll just not do this, if I'll do this, there's something more for me. It is the lie that Satan has put before us and will continue to put before us. That we will come to a point of, Not just disobedience, but disbelieving. We must trust God that what God is saying here is for my good and for his glory. That's what I'm trusting him for. It's for my good and his glory, and that he has the best for me so that I obey him. What did Moses say? Choose what? Choose life or choose what? Young men and women, I'm not being dramatic. When God's clear in his Bible and what he says to you and you come to a point to say, okay, am I going to obey God here or not? You, I want you to consciously think this thought. I'm either choosing life or death here. I'm choosing life or destruction. Bible says this, there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is what? Destruction. So there's going to be things you can think, Then this is the way I need to go. The end of that is always destruction. Last. The clarity of Scripture should give us the confidence to make His Word known. Titus chapter 1. Turn over there with me. It's right after the Timothys, right before Hebrews. Titus chapter 1. The clarity of Scripture should give us the confidence to make His Word known. And I would say this in two levels. Privately, And publicly. So let's pretend there's some of you in this room who have been in the past this year. In fact, there's two valedictorians in the room. There was a young believer in Pennsylvania this year who uh, was a follower of Jesus, who was the valedictorian of her class, and she was told that she could not read scripture and she could not speak of Jesus. Does anybody know what she did? You may have heard about this. She read scripture and she prayed to Jesus. Where'd that come from? Defiance? No. That came from confidence. The confidence in God's word to do. Because here's what she said. To not do so meant then I was denying my Lord. That was the choice before her. So she spoke. You see, the clarity of Scripture gives us the confidence then to speak, not just in public, but in private with those we love the most, with those that sometimes we fear the most. We have the confidence to to speak the truth to them. It says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So that means to teach what is right and true, and when you hear what is false, to contradict that. Now, I'm going to read again from De Young's book. This is at the end of his chapter on clarity, where he talks about William Tyndale. All right, William Tyndale uh, lived, or he died in 1536. He was one of the reformers, you know, uh, my protest, the Protestant Reformation. He was one of the reformers. Does anybody know what Tyndale did? What did Tyndale do? What is he famous for in Re- Reformation? He translated the Bible into English. Now, this is a big deal. He translated it into English. Does anybody know what they did to him? They burned him. Now, as he was in the process of translating the Bible... A learned man, quote, a theologian, was confronting Tyndale. And Tyndale said to this man, quote, if God spare my life many years, I will cause a boy that drives a plow to know more about the scripture than you. Now, what did Tyndale believe when he said that? Did he believe this boy was going to go to seminary? What did he believe? He believed if I get the Bible into the hands of a plowboy, he'll do what? He'll read it. And not only will he read it, what will happen? He'll understand it. Why? Because it's clear. And that it'll impact his life. Well, that confidence cost him his life. They didn't just burn him, they strangled him to death. That was very symbolic. They choked him to death publicly. As they put the ligature around his neck and lit the flames, Tyndale is famous for shouting this sentence. Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. It's the last words he said. 1536. Can somebody tell me what happened that the king of England did in 1611? Less than 100 years later. What? That's right. Less than 100 years later, the king of England made an edict that the Bible be translated to the masses in English. God heard his prayer. I'm sorry I'm emotional. You guys don't understand. Uh, Partly you've been cut off to history you don't understand whose shoulders I'm standing on tonight. You don't understand what it has cost people that in your house there are multiple copies of the Bible. You you don't understand what God, by his grace, has put into your hands so that you can know and read. That, That would give you the confidence to live for him and to... And to speak for him. I mean this when I say this. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. The educated West. With the access to the Bible like we do. This principle will be true. To whom much is given. Much is required. We we are going to answer to God for what we have. We are. I should have had this video. There's a video of a tribe in New Guinea three years ago. When a plane lands and for the first time a Bible is handed to them in their language, you would have thought they landed with a plane load of gold as the whole People turned out, and as they danced and sang and shouted in the streets, you don't know what it's like not to have access to the Bible. You've grown too used to it and too cold to it. Friends, this is the word of God. God has clearly spoken to you, and God has provided you direct access to it. Give yourself to this word. That is my prayer for you. That is my plea to you today. Let me pray. Lord, if, if if I were to find myself in the moment where Tyndale was, at this moment, my prayer would simply be, Lord, cause your people to read the Bible. I pray that would be true among these young men and women in this room. We have far too many excuses. We have far too many things that we are placed before you. So God, I pray now. I pray that you would open the eyes of the hearts of these young men and women. And Spirit of God, that you would place a hunger in them for your word like never before. And I pray, I pray, oh God, that they would act on it and that they would act accordingly. I pray they would act now. And I ask this in Jesus' name.